How good is that song? I don't know about you guys, but I cannot wait for the season to start so we can hear that. Hopefully a bit more than we did in season 2023. Welcome back to the Shimbonus podcast. On today's episode, we've got a listener Q&A. Just a solo episode today, The Big Chief. It's got to his head a bit too much. You guys, with your lovely kind words, it's just gone to his head. He's strutting around. Talk of the town of Launceston. I think he's put in his application to go and join Fox Footy and provide some analysis there. He reckons it's that good, but um, he reckons he's a bit of a Brock Lesnar sort of type. For those who follow WWE, Brock Lesnar only shows up for the for the big events, so he's compared himself to that. So he'll fly solo today, but look forward to answering some of your questions that you guys have sent in. Thank you to everyone who did. We will answer them all today, so... Before we get stuck in, we're going to have a look at last week's poll, which was, is Cam Zerha too harshly criticised? So the results of the poll was 39% of you guys said, yes, he is too harshly criticised, and 61% went with no. So very interesting results. He's probably the most polarising player we've got at North. He divides fans a lot. His best is elite He's a game changer. A couple of games last year we saw Good Friday and when we played the arch rival Essendon, he just turns games and can win games off his own boot. And then obviously throughout his career, the King of Marvel game against Richmond where he just said, strap on boys, we're going to win this one. And it's no secret, uh, if you guys have listened to previous episodes, that he is one of my favourite players at the club. And I do really like what he brings uh, offensively and he's just a bit of a point of difference and... Also, don't mind the fact that he has a bit of a strut and a bit of swagger. But when he first came onto the scene, it was that relentless pressure. He hunted the man. It was almost like watching a lion stalk a gazelle. Like he'd just come up and smash blokes out of nowhere. He's relentless pressure. I want to know where that's gone because, as I said before, in his first year, in his first couple of seasons, actually, it was prevalent most games. Where's it gone now? Because it seems that it's only when he can feel like it. There's, It's not there every game. I don't know if it's because he's more of an offensive threat now that he's resting on his laurels, but I think it's something for him to take the next step and become a sort of A-grade talent. He needs to bring that back into his game, especially in a forward line that, as we've identified in the previous pod, may be lacking a bit of... Um, forward 50 pressure so if he can bring that back to his game even close to the level it was in his first couple of seasons that'll go a long way to making him a better two-way player and making us and our forward line better as a team but yeah interesting to see that the poll was very close I mean I may have rose-coloured glasses on but he's had a hard position the half forward position is one of the hardest to play and not only that, but he's had to be the second tall because of our complete lack of depth up forward. So he's getting the second best defender um, and he's playing undersized, really. I mean, he's playing second fiddle to Larky when he's only that 188, 189 size, but definitely room to work on. I can see your guys' point of view who uh, think he's not quite delivering to the level he should be. But I think if he can bring that defensive pressure back to the level that it once was, that we'll all be agreeing that he's pushing to be an A-grade star and that he's a really valuable asset to the side. Definitely one that we'll be keeping a close eye on this year. 
and see how he goes as the year goes on. Right, let's get stuck into the Q&A. We'll start with Instagram. Drew underscore Gardner has asked the hard-hitting question, what's the pass mark for wins in 2024? Well, Drewy, I reckon it's got to be at least six. Obviously, three last year and four the year before. We want to be making sort of the Hawthorne progress, I think, from last year, where they were in games for a lot longer. They were taking a few scalps. They beat Collingwood. I think that's really what we should be aiming for. Personally, I'd like more than six, but to make that first jump, I think it's got to be a minimum of six to seven wins. I think we'll see a clear-cut game plan this year. Clarko's first real pre-season at the helm last year, all the distractions with the Hawthorne investigation, rubbish, and didn't really have the chance to get his hands on the list in terms of delistings he sort of took over. So it's his first proper pre-season in charge and I think we're going to see some quick progress and yeah I think six wins is easily obtainable hoping for more than six but I think that's the first check mark we've got to tick off is six wins Um, I think with the list we've got I think they can all develop really quickly at the same time we've got a lot in that 20 to 24 bracket that are really really good players and that can all take the leap together so I, I don't, wouldn't be surprised if it does turn quick. Um, usually in the past, I haven't been pro putting a number on it, but just with the way the last few seasons have gone, it's time to start winning games. I've had enough of honourable losses. Obviously last year, we lost a lot of games by under 15 points. It's time to learn to win, boys. It's time to start putting it on the board and putting it in the win column. But yeah, I think... Six to eight wins is probably what we're looking at next year, barring any significant injuries to touch wood again to the SUV. We will be reliant on keeping our A-grade talent out there and having a reasonable go with injuries. Not something we're known for at North. have had some really horror years in the previous seasons with injuries, but if we can keep our key position players particularly healthy and the A-grade midfield, then I think it's absolutely achievable to make that leap and double our wins and, if not, hopefully a bit more and make our climb back up the ladder. Thanks for that, Drewy. Great question to start us off. We'll move on. Uh, Brighton underscore Isles asks, who's your favourite current and or past player and does he play your favourite position? So it's a bit hard at the moment to have a favourite player. Obviously, Ben Cunnington was my favourite player of all time, um, and he's recently hung up the boots. And there's a few contenders. I really enjoy watching Sheasel, um, obviously Warlord, LDU, the big Sov, love a Ford who kicks goals, obviously Cam Zerha. There's quite a few options now for favourite player, but I think at the moment it's probably just the Sov. Um, really enjoy watching him and... He's the favourite player of my sister, and she's recently, in the last couple of years, just gotten back into footy, so something we all bond over. Our family group chat's called Silva, so so he does hold sentimental value. He's obviously a big fan favourite in our family, so he probably just edges out the others there, but a lot of players that I really enjoy watching and that I'm massive fans of. So Andy plays full forward and kicks goals, and who doesn't love kicking the odd goal? I wasn't much of a footballer, but... I did thoroughly enjoy kicking the odd sausage roll, that's for sure. 
We've got another question here from Brighton underscore Isles who asks, who are you most excited to see play in season 2024? Gee, that's hard to answer. I'm going to have to give multiple options. Sorry, Brighton. One is Braden George. Cannot wait to see him pull on the blue and white stripes. I've dobbed him, my boy, on this podcast. Obviously missed last year with an ACL, um, but just cannot wait to see what he brings. He's got X Factor. He was going to be a top 10 pick. Uh, in the 2022 draft until he did his ACL slip to us. I was praying that we'd get him. We got him and just cannot wait to see him get to work. He's got swagger. He's got the nickname Sausage because he loves kicking goals. So cannot wait to see him and what he can bring to our already dynamic forward line. Another one is Charlie Combin. I've been a massive fan of Chom. He's had a horror run with injuries, but new roll down back. I think he can... He's really make-or-break player for us this year. If he can work well down back and cement his spot down there and work well with Core and whoever they go with as the third key defender, uh, it's it's really big in us being able to win more games and being in games for longer. The big worry entering season 2024 is how our inexperienced key defenders will go matching up on the big forwards of the other team. Obviously, it's well noted that Griff will be out for at least the first half of the season, if not longer. So it, it's his opportunity to take to see if he can step up and cement his spot. I'm just praying that he gets a run with injuries because we all know the talent that he has and the marking ability that he has. So, yeah, Chom is another one. The first-year guys are always exciting to see them debut. Colby especially holds a special place with us because from the same town and always have a a special place in our hearts for the Tassie boys and like to see them go extra well, especially when they're wearing our colours. So looking forward to him. I think he's going to make an instant impact. Um, Zane Dersma, bit of the unknown with Zane. Um, not sure if he can make that instant impact like the others, but really looking forward to see him develop. And lastly, I'll say the warlord, George Wardlaw. I don't think I've been this excited about someone who's played eight games ever, to be honest. Um, we got a taste test last year of what he's capable of and the impact that he can have in our midfield. So I cannot wait to see another one who hopefully has a really good run with injuries, but I can't wait to see him bursting out of packs and cementing himself in our midfield and staying on the park and developing into a really, really good midfielder that we all know he can be. He's obviously got strong comparisons to Joel Selwood. I think Joel's a hell of a player, but I think he can be more damaging post-clearance with the burst away probably needs to work on his kicking as a lot of our <laughs> a lot of our team does but yeah really excited to see what he can bring and the levels that he can reach this year as I've said in the previous podcast he's my tip for the rising star I think if he can get on the park for most of the season then it's his to lose so really looking forward to watch George and Harry as well and see how they can develop and lead us back up and as long with the other young group lead us back up the ladder to finals where we belong i did also notice those of us who have received the membership packages that for those who haven't um on the car bumper sticker it's got george wardlaw and harry sheasel so that's the sign from the club as well that these are the young brigade to lead us into the future and how exciting for those two just in their second year to already be poster boys for the club and advertised as the big dogs to take us back up the ladder. So 
awesome to see the faith that the club's put in these two young guns. And finally, another question from Brighton underscore Isles who asks, what's your number one big improvement you'd like to see from North this year? Another great question. I think defensive stability is definitely one that we want to see. Last year, a lot of players looked lost in the game plan, pushing too far up and getting beaten out the back or pushing too far back and allowing the easy chip kick. So I think that's one. And another one definitely is just to stop getting massive blowout losses. I think if we can eradicate that and be in games for longer and be more competitive against the better sides in the competition and hopefully get a scout because we haven't had a scout for a long time. I haven't beaten a top four side for a long time. So if we could do that in season 2024, that would be a massive indicator of the progress that we're making. And another one, I know you said one, but another one that we need is kicking inside 50. It was absolutely atrocious for a large portion of last year. Quite often in games, we'd be close, if not winning the inside 50s, but just bombing it in there to solve one on three. We've got to be able to lower our eyes. We've got enough dynamic players down there now to, if they want a triple team or double team solve, then we've got to lower our eyes and find a Zerha or a Braden George or a Paul Curtis some of those players that can be dangerous as well. So that's a, a massive area, I think, is our kicking inside 50, and kicking in general, really, but particularly d- the delivery inside 50 is imperative. We only kicked over 100 points one game last year, um, the, the last round against the Suns, and if we're going to start winning more games and being competitive in more games, we're going to have to kick more goals, obviously, so that's a really important one to get right and... We've got some really good users now on the side, so lowering the eyes and hitting up the option will also give sort of better, better looks than the predictable long down the line but bombs and just sitting it on his head where players can peel off and double or triple team him. So thanks again for another great question, Brighton. Sorry you did ask for one improvement, but obviously we've been bottom two for a while now, so there's lots of room for improvement. So there's just a couple that... I find really important for season 2024. Next up, we have Casey underscore Curtis seven, who's asked the question, any ruse fantasy friendly role changes or more opportunities for rookie price players for 2024? Well, Case, I think Colby McKercher is a set and forget. I expect him to go close to replicating Harry Sheasel's 2023, probably not to the same level of, 100-plus scores every week, but I think he's an easy cash cow to start. And looks like he's going to be playing off half-back, so he'll be taking the kick-ins, no doubt, and getting a lot of handball receives to use his lethal left foot. So there's one I'd definitely look at. Dylan Stevens is another. He's obviously had a lot of trouble cementing his spot in Sydney. He'll, he'll be a walk-in starter. He'll be opposite Bailey Scott on the wing. He'll be more attacking winger, as we've said in previous podcasts with Scott playing the more defensive role. So another one who could get a lot of handball receives and use his lethal left, and he's priced quite low, I think, in the 400s. So he's one to look at. I wouldn't say set and forget him, but definitely one to keep eyes on, particularly in the preseason competition to see how he's been scoring. A couple others I'd keep a close eye on would be Taron Thomas and Luke Davies-Uniac, both capable of scoring well over 100 each week. Uh, LDU more importantly, will be getting his body right. I'm not sure what he's priced at, but capable of having a massive year. Uh, Taron Thomas as well, with play more midfield minutes, 
um, offensive threat, kicks goals. So keeping a tab on both of those. And obviously George Wardlaw, I'm not sure what he's priced at either, but he'll get a lot of midfield time and only played eight games last year, so might be reasonably priced. But and one for your bench, if you're looking for just a cheap option that'll play every week, will be Toby Pink. He'll play most weeks. Probably won't make you a lot of money, but if you want someone there for just in case as an emergency that won't have a ton of cash cow upside but will play each week, yeah, look at Toby Pink and see how he goes across the first couple of rounds. Zach Fisher's another one case um, off half back. Average 25 a game over the last six home and away games for the Blues last year. Looking like he's going to be playing off half-back for the Roos, so another one I'd just keep tabs on over the pre-season and in the pre-season games because he's going to be getting a lot of ball as he's been identified as someone that could be a good user. Clarko's going to want to run the ball out more so than just long bombing, so he's another one I'd just keep an eye on. But thanks for the question, Case, and hopefully your line's... Go well again for you this year, mate, just not against us. Jake7347 on Instagram asks, North Melbourne have minimum 13 midfielders that are young enough to be long-term options. Whom do you expect to be the core group, the players to be used forward and half-back, and for some, miss out? Furthermore, do you think the Roos will find it challenging to keep all these young midfielders when they turn 23 and looking for opportunities? Ripper question, Jakey. Um, I think the core group will obviously be... Wardlaw, Taz, LDU, Jai, Sheasel. And then they're, they're probably the starting ones. And then you've got your Will Phillips, Tom Powell, Colby when he eventually makes his move to the midfield. Cam Zerha will play some minutes in there, no doubt. But, yeah, they're sort of the main guys. I think Will Phillips is probably just ahead of Tom Powell for me at the moment. Just he's more of a contested beast and sort of offers something that the others don't, whereas Powell is a really good user and silky, but probably not as good in and under as what Will Phillips is because we've got a lot of midfielders who can burst away and, and use their pace and tricks, and Will Phillips is more of your in and under to feed them, and he's a really good handballer um, to get players into space. So I think he's just ahead of Powell at the moment for that. I think Sheez will play half forward, half back and midfield. I think he won't play massive midfield minutes, but he will spend time in there. Wardlaw, obviously, and LDU and Taz are probably my starting three, so they'll see a lot of minutes in there. Jai will play off half forward a lot, I reckon, and potentially rotate on the wing. Um, But yeah, Powell, I think if he can find his niche as a half forward slash mid, he'll get a lot of games. If he can't, then that's going to be where he plays a fair chunk of twos. The big question for Powell and for Will Phillips is they need to be able to work on their defensive running. They found themselves in the twos at various points over the last couple of years just because of that factor that they were really good when they had the ball, but it's what they can do without the ball that's really going to um, elevate their game, as you see You've got some mids with a bit of a license, an LDU or a Taz, to sort of run one way. So that means that your other mids have to take the step up. So a Will Phil, a Jai, uh, a Wardlaw, they're all going to have to sort of be a more defensive-minded sort of mid um, when when they're in there with the other two. So, yeah, really good question. As for who I think will leave, um, depending on opportunities this year, 
we've got Will Phillips, Taz, and Tom Powell out of that group that are out of contract. So I'd like to think Taz would stay. I hope he does. He's a really important signing for us. As for Will Phil and Tom Powell, potentially could look elsewhere. Um, I'd, I'd like the club to sign particularly Will Phillips up right now. Just He's got a lot of upside and he's really only sort of in his third year because his second year missed all of glandular fever, which is something you can't help. So I think he's got a lot of upside. Powell too, uh, really enjoy watching him. I think he's got a lot of potential as well. But he's South Australian, so maybe could find the lure home and maybe play for Adelaide. I don't think he'll get any more minutes than what he does with us now in the Port Adelaide midfield. So maybe Adelaide, when a retiring Rory Sloan, there might be some midfield minutes open there, but hoping he'll stay. But I can see your point that midfield minutes are going to be hard to come by. So players may look elsewhere to get that extra midfield playing time. But it's one of the few positions we've got depth in. Um, so be interesting to see how it all looks with a healthy starting 22 and how many midfield minutes each player gets. But you see sides like the Bulldogs, they've got a lot of mids and they make it all work. And But they also have midfielders that can play pretty well off half forward. So it's all about adding that extra string to your bow for a Will Phil or a Tommy Powell because we know Taz can do it. LDU is going to play large midfield minutes and maybe rest forward on occasion, but... I'm not too worried about the Sheasels. He's obviously got talent no matter where he goes. But, yeah, I think the main two are probably Phillips and Powell and potentially Jai and just working on their half-forward craft. Obviously, Taz can go forward and kick a lot of goals as well. So, yeah, really good question. Thanks, Jakey. So we'll move on to the Facebook questions where Jesse Allen has asked, is Elvis Ford going to be the next Buddy Franklin? Well, obviously, yes. Looking forward to see him kick 13 in Lonnie. He's still recovering from certain somebody kicking 13 against us and having to sit there and watch our back line get absolutely destroyed by one of the best to play the game. But you know what Buddy can't do that Elvis can do? is pull off a do-rag and a perm. Obviously got the bling in the ear as well. So looks the part and is going to be a key factor in our rebuild as we go back up the ladder. Yeah, looking forward to see what he can do in 2024 and beyond. Noah Wiggins asks, Were you happy with our draft class? Obviously a lot of talk around Curtin and Dersma. Are you happy with our choice and passing up a potential quality key back for another half forward? Furthermore, passing up on Tassie local Ari Schoenmaker when he could have been taken for nothing with our pick in the 40s. Great question, Noah. Um, For the first part about Dan Curtin and Dersma, I was very much on the Dan Curtin train. Uh, I think, yes, it's best available, but I don't think it's that big a gap between him and Dersma. And with our significant weakness in key position players, I was definitely pro Curtin. But the club's made the choice to go for Dersma. His highlights look really good. His player comp was Toby Green, so obviously that gets a lot of us very, very excited. But... I, like many, was pro-Curtain, but we'll have to wait and see how that unfolds as to whether who will be the better player. But I think Dersma can be really good, but is also quite alike to a lot of players that we have that can play the similar role, whereas Curtain was more needs. But I think this year's draft, we definitely have to stop drafting midfielders and half-forwards. We need to 
identify the glaring gap that is the key position through either the draft or free agency and trade period. But as for the second part with Ari Schoenmaker, um, I have heard a lot of character issues with Ari around bullying and providing underage kids and uh, underage teammates, sorry, alcohol. So there was some, there was a reason that so many teams passed on him. Um, I'm not too concerned that we did. He's obviously a very talented player, but I think we made the right choice in passing on him with a young list. We want good people around um, to build that culture that the young young guns are driving. So I'm not particularly fussed with that one, but another really good question. Thank you, Noah. I will also add that obviously everybody makes mistakes, so hopefully he has a good career with the Saints. But yeah, I just think for where we are as a club, we just it's not a risk worth taking at the moment when there's lots of other 18-year-olds that maybe are around the same school level that just have a better attitude at the moment. So good luck to Ari, but very happy with the draft class that we put together. And I thought Brady and Big Sideshow Bob and the crew did a really good job. Dean Wall asks, who is the all-time best left footer at North? Schwass, Grant or Cable? Thanks for the question, Wally. I mean, obviously it's Jared Polak, a superstar five-year contract gun that we picked up from Port. No, in all seriousness, I didn't see Schwass or Cable play, um, but from what I saw from Shannon Grant, really good player. Had one of the biggest rorts, though, with his 50-metre penalty against Collingwood where he hit the post from 10 metres out. He actually took the mark 45 metres out, so... There's a mini grind my gears about how an umpire cannot count to 50, let alone be easily directed when the ball's been marked inside 50. Just take him to the bloody goal line. How silly some umpires are, but that's a that's a topic for another day. But I might put it out to the poll for you guys. More of our experienced older North fans can answer that one as to who the best left footer of all time is. Obviously, Barry Cable has two-time premiership player, Brownlow medalist, a, a litany of player awards. Um, Schwoss, a really, really good player, and same with Shagger as well. So I'll put it out to you guys. Let me know who you guys think is the best left footer of all time at the North Melbourne Footy Club. Glenn Lavender asks the next question. For those of you who aren't a member of the Footies Life Nothing Else Matters group on Facebook, make sure to join that. Glenn goes to training a lot and takes some really good pictures and puts some really good training reports together. So shout out to Glenn, who also allows me to use some of his footage that he's taken to post on uh, our socials. So thanks, Glenn. So Glenn asks, how to structure an inexperienced backline? Combin, Dawson, Pink, Fisher, McKerchuk, Court, and McDonald seem to be the natural starting backs. Is there a defensive formation that can be employed to take advantage their youth and speed that also minimises the damage, their lack of experience at panic under pressure? If we can solve some of the riddle this year before Logie comes back, then we'll be in a position to be in games for longer and also win a few unexpected games. But what is that formation? Geez, you've put me under the spotlight here. Really good question. I think it goes along with what I've said previously around understanding the game plan better, finding where you should be structured and a lot of it also is going to come down to leadership we've got our co-captain down there we've got another member of the leadership group in Aiden Core, another experienced player down there to provide leadership so 
a lot of the onus is on those guys to be very vocal and directive. Uh, it's going to be hard without Jack, obviously, very vocal leader down there, helping the young guys get in position. So a lot of it's going to fall on Mac and Corey to direct, as well as I think there'll be some game plans in play when we are going against the flow of the game. I think Bailey Scott will push back and be a, sort of an extra drop back from the wing to help provide and have an extra number back in defence. But, yeah, it is, it's going to be really interesting to see how they go about structuring the back line with a lot of young players. Like There's also Goder and Bergman to add to that list of players that will be down there at various times throughout the year. So looking forward to see how the master coach, Clarko, and his newly formed crew go about combating that lack of experience and... A lot of it's also going to come on the midfield and forward line as well. Some of the entries last year, it wouldn't have mattered who was down there. You could have Mick Martin, David Dench and Matthew Scarlett down there. With the way the ball was coming in, it wouldn't matter. They've got to apply more pressure up the ground. Uh, they've got to, The midfield have got to work both ways. They've got to push really hard defensively, fully well knowing that we've got a younger, inexperienced back line. I'm sure Clark will be, will be pushing the working both ways to support. And then I think the game plan is going to be a bit of a slingshot going forward. So quick ball movement when necessary and a lot of overlapping handballs and using the pacey, really good halfback users we've got. So I think in a combination of getting everybody well-structured and understanding the game plan down back with defensive help from the midfielders slash Bailey Scott on the wing and the forwards apply more pressure to allow everyone to get structured up down back. Thanks for that question. That was a really good question. Next up, we've got Blake Cassidy who asks, using one trade for the 2024 trade period, who would you be willing to trade away to get in return? Well, that's a really tough question. Um, in terms of trade targets, I'm not entirely sure who's out of contract next year, but we have a glaring hole key position-wise. So any young key forward or key back that would be worth a look. Someone like a Jake Riccardi, I know he just re-signed recently with the Giants, but someone in that mould that's maybe not getting quite the opportunity but has a lot of upside. Um, Someone in the mould of a Jai Miss as well. I really rate him from Frio. Um, Or potentially a Ruckman as well. It's going to depend a lot on how Tristan Cherry performs this year, but if he lives up to his prior form, then I think the club will be actively seeking another Ruckman to take over and become the number one Ruck. As for who, I'd be willing to trade away. Um, if it was a key forward, someone even like a Riley Thilthorpe from Adelaide, potentially worth a go just because we're completely bare in the key forward stocks. Um, someone even like a Tom Powell might be looking elsewhere for opportunities if those midfield minutes aren't presenting themselves. I love Powley, but... Um, if he's not getting consistent games, I wouldn't be shocked if he wanted to go home to Adelaide to try and find more midfield time in one of their two sides, although that would be tough to do, um, particularly for Port Adelaide. They've got a pretty good midfield. But, yeah, that'd be interesting to see who the club targets. And it's clearly an, an area that we need to identify the key position players. So I'll be really interested to see who's up and about for the trade and hopefully we can be really active in that space. From your mob, I wouldn't mind a Jack Henry or someone like that. It'd be pretty handy as well. So 
Thanks for that question. Um, lastly, we've got a couple of questions on X from at Shimbona, who asks, your man Cam has said in media interviews he won't watch other games. Do you think it's important that he watches? Um, not really. Not particularly, no. Uh, I don't think every player is quite the AFL tragic as we are. I know some players will watch a lot of games. Some players won't watch any besides the film that they need to watch leading up to the game. I suppose if they're doing everything right during the week, preparing the proper way, being active in the team meetings, watching the film of their upcoming opponents, then I don't think it's necessarily that important that they watch any other footy. You're going to have people, or someone like a Harry Sheasel strikes me as someone who's probably watching quite a few games during the week. Um, just because he looks like he just loves footy. Some players, you know, might want to escape during the week and after their game and not watch any other footy. So I think it's important that, especially in today's day and age, they're, they're very much preaching the finding the balance away from footy. So I don't think it's massively important that he's not watching games or is watching games as long as he's doing the work during the week to prepare himself and the same with the 43 others on the list Uh, as long as they're doing the best they can to prepare themselves and aren't selling themselves short in that department then no I don't think there really is an issue with it Uh, you also asked another question saying who's the shitter bloke Warner who blames everyone but himself or Sam Mitchell who's taking credit for Clarko's list and using Clarko's contacts for insight Oh, it's got to be David Warner, doesn't it? I'm not his biggest fan. Happy to see the back of him, but while we're on the quick subject of cricket, what does Cam Bancroft have to do? He's averaging 50 or 60 in the shield, and they're just so desperate to get Cam Green in. It's quite poor, really. I don't know what more he can do. He obviously doesn't fit the Cricket Australia mould, and as we know, it's harder to get out of the team than it is in. So as for Sam Mitchell... um, yeah, not a massive fan of him, but I think Clarko had served his time at Hawthorne. I think it was probably best for both parties to move on. I think they actually made the right decision there. Now, some of the commentary afterwards in the media from Sam Mitchell is not something you'd be super proud of, I'm sure, but they did get together at one of the Hawthorne reunions, so good for them, I suppose. Um, it just don't want it impacting Clarko. He obviously flew separately last year to the game in Lonnie, but yeah, I don't think we will need to talk too much about Sam Mitchell on this pod, but yeah, definitely wasn't an amicable split between those two, and it's definitely going to add <coughs> intrigue to every time we play Hawthorne just for, for that commentary, much like when the Scott brothers coached against each other. Uh, it was always very prevalent in the media that week. I'm sure it'll be the same for Clarko and Sam Mitchell every time that we battle the Hawks. That concludes the listener Q&A. Thanks everyone for sending in the questions. We will be having them throughout the year, so keep an eye on socials and send in your questions when you see the forum open. Feel free. There's no silly questions. Always happy to engage with you guys and build our little North Shimbonus Pod community. We've got some really exciting content coming out in the coming weeks. We're going to do a best 23 drop. We'll get the big chief back on for that. We've got crystal ball predictions coming up. We'll get a a guest on for that. And we've also got a Rue roundtable. We're going to celebrate the 25-year anniversary of the 1999 Premiership. So we're going to dissect and analyse and have a bit of a yarn about that with a few different people and celebrate what really was a great year for the club. And 
we're also keen to get your thoughts, so we'll be putting it out for you guys to put your memories in and have just a shimbo and a yarn about a great day for the club and the success that we're ultimately climbing to get back to get another taste of it and find a fifth piece of silverware. The club's also back this week, uh, back to pre-season training, so we might have some content there to share and Glenn will provide a few photos if he can make it down to training and we'll have a bit of an update of who's looking good and no doubt everyone's always training the house down in pre-season, but we'll have a quick chat about what's been happening at training and any new news that we can provide for you guys, we we shall. So that's about it for today. Um, Hope you guys enjoyed the first listener Q&A episode, something that we'd like to do fairly frequently throughout the year. Get your guys' thoughts is always important and just have a bit of banter and fun along the way. So check out Spotify for the poll for this week, which will be about the greatest left footer to pull on the blue and white stripes, as well as we'll also open the opportunity if you want to chuck a question in down below if you missed out this week and want it answered by myself or the big chief next week, there's the opportunity to do that if you missed out. So thanks for listening. You guys have been awesome in supporting just a a North Nuffy starting his own podcast and wanting to talk all things North. The kind words and support that you guys have provided has been awesome and definitely gives me a lot of motivation to keep this podcast going and just to chat all things North and being able to talk about the greatest passion in life is something that I really enjoy and to do it with the old boy when he comes on, it's always a good bit of fun. So Thank you, everybody. If you've enjoyed this podcast, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Also, click the follow button, and there's a notification bell you can turn on, so as soon as an episode drops, you'll get a notification. You can make sure that you never miss an episode. You can find us on social media, on Facebook, The Shimboner Podcast, Instagram, The Shimboner underscore pod, and on X at The Shimboners Pod. So make sure you guys check out the social media. We're always posting good content and that's where we post to get your guys' questions for these sort of episodes. So that will wrap up for today. We'll be back next week with the Big Chief back on board. So bye for now. Thank you once again for listening and go Kangas. Good old North Melbourne, the champions you'll agree. North Melbourne is the team that plays to win for you and me. Hey!